1: Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm.
2: Melbourne's Drive Time Radio program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainways.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia.
0: I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at Brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital Radio and streaming on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Tonight on Brainwaves is our final highlight from the recent 2023 Woodcock lecture that was proudly hosted by Wellways. We hope you've enjoyed the last two talks from Matt Ball and Helena Roenfeld. If you miss them, you can find them on our shows on the 3CR website. But tonight's show is the panel discussion. Claire Conlon hosted the panel, which included Professor Richard Newton, Matt Ball and Helena Roenfeld. The panel discussed the topic, being human, humane responses to distress. Please note that some of the content could be confronting. So if today's show does bring up anything for you and you are in need of some extra support, please reach out to the Wellways Helpline on 1300 111 500. Otherwise, please enjoy today's show. I now have got the pleasure of inviting Matt back
3: on the stage and introducing Professor Richard Newton and Claire Conlon, also to stage. We have a panel discussion on the themes that Matt and Alina have been talking about and that we're exploring tonight. Let me say a bit about Claire. Claire has been appointed to a consumer lived experience role at Wellways as the National Policy Research and Advocacy Manager, and she'll be facilitating this evening's discussion. Thanks, Claire. I'd also like to warmly welcome Professor Richard Newton, who is a psychiatrist and a member of the Wellways Board, and we are very fortunate to have him with us. His impressive credentials, which are too long to list, are on our linked website page. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'm going to hand over to you,
1: Claire. Thank you so much. Hello. Yes, we're on. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much um, to Matt and Helena uh, for such thought-provoking and very evocative um, offerings. And from an advocacy point of view, from a continuous quality point of view, We want to keep challenging current practice. We have to. We don't need more of the same. Absolutely. So we have uh, chosen a few questions um, that when people registered, um, and I'm going to pose those questions to you all. Um, There will actually be many more that we will not get to tonight, Um, but we will encourage you all um, to put forward your questions. So if you're online, you can pop your questions in the chat. Um, And if you're present here on your little postcards, you can actually text through your questions um, because all of these questions will be gathered uh, for a follow-up Q&A that will be recorded and made available to all. I would like to firstly invite Richard um, to hear your response to what you've heard from Matt and Helena tonight.
4: (laughs) Where to... Is this on? Yep. Where to start, really? Um, and and all, I listen to you both, and you know, part of my life has been spent running crisis services, doing teaching people psychotherapy, doing psychotherapy, you know, participating in it, and uh, and I'm left with this profound sense of. We, of, of uh, failure, really, the, the system that I'm a part of and that actually I've been a leader of, in, in part, at least, has fa- Is f- done so, continues to do harm, it continues to let people down. Um, but the hopeful thing is, OK, well, what do we do about it? And and, and what can we... Le- what do we learn? And, of course, Matt... Heads up, the work that you're doing in just listening is completely evidence-based, as I'm sure you actually know. You know, uh, connection, that warm emotional connection that somebody forms in a psychotherapeutic, in a helping relationship, in a listening relationship, that contact accounts for 80% of... Uh, the effect size of improvement when you look at, you know, psych- psychotherapy, shared element research, uh, which leaves, what, 20% for what you do and how you do it and why you do it. It's almost all connection. And, uh, and I do love an evaluation. And I, l- <laughs> <laughs> and I did like your evaluation, Matt Dunford, so I'm going to go and read it. One of the things that, uh, 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 that I want to talk about is, is a bit more about that. But, Helena, uh, um, uh, I think Laura said I've got a lot of credentials. It just means that I've been around a long time. You, you accumulate a CV. When I first started uh, psychiatry in the 1980s, uh, I was taught about crisis Uh, psychiatry, crisis psychiatry. We had a course about it which contained all of the elements that you've just been talking about, really, and uh, 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 about how to help people in that moment of crisis to develop resilience, strength to feel good and better as a result of that crisis and what, what, what can be done in that space, mainly listening. And so one of the things... Here we are... 40 years later, 40, you know, 40 years later, and all of that's gone. And, and, um, and so if we're going to do things differently, and, uh, and I do have hope and optimism that we're going to do things differently, I think one of the things that people who've been around a long time like me can offer is that uh, recognition that unless we put systems in place... Uh, and I'm a bit of a governance nerd... You know, I like proper systems. If, we, but we have those. Those systems have got to recognise how quickly we we regress back to a pretty awful state of affairs. And, and why is that? And I think it. You know, one of the things that I, I did want to bring to this uh, was the other human in that human encounter, which is the uh, the clinician, the, the or, or, or or the peer worker. That that. Other person for whom, you know, you've got uh, uh, this is their job, and they and, and people who work in that crisis setting or in a, a, a psychotherapeutic clinic of any kind, they they will see, you know, there's one person for whom this encounter might be an important part of, you know, have life and death importance to them. The other person in the room is somebody who's doing this in order to get paid. And, uh, and, 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 and we'll see five, eight, ten, twelve people a day who are in this circumstance. And, and, and we'll do this day in, day out. And we'll often connect with people at a moment when that person is in one of the darkest places. ..that they've been in. And and we'll be responding with fear and anxiety and distress and anger. Uh, How... And and I don't think I've heard anybody... Actually, before tonight, Matt, articulate what you might do in order to uh, support systematically people so that they can stay in that space and be human... And be connected over and over again. And, and what you were talking about was, you know, you, you, I, I think you had a ratio of, uh, you know, I'm a, like I said, I'm a governance nerd. Uh, I, I, I think you had two therapeutic encounters uh, with uh, uh, the listener and, a, and and a speaker uh, to one hour of listening support. Uh, how important is that uh, you know what a recognition of that's what you need if you're going to remain human in, in, in what's actually a, 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 a desperately challenging and difficult space to sit in day in day out um, some some you know I've, I've had the privilege of being with many clinicians who can do that year in year out but actually they're they're extraordinary. They're really unusual. And, and, and we can't expect the world to be full of people like that. So we have to find a way, as, as you were articulating, about how to support people and, and create a space in which they can um, uh, be refreshed so, and supported so that they can stay human in that space. Thank you.
1: Did either of you want to respond?
2: Well, what I heard which is my agenda is that you're now going to advocate <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a leader in the system of reform over here that we do things differently.
4: <laughs> Always.
2: But, yeah, and, and you know I sort of say it jokingly but I think you know, listening to the, what struck me was listening to the audio recordings of the people in your research. And a I, I suppose I would go back to what I was saying. Listen to what people are saying and notice what it does to you because that'll denote how you respond to it. You know, if you feel responsible to cure someone, save someone, make them feel better, I guess you're not really going to listen to much of what they say. And that's that's the dilemma for me, is how we do support each other and ourselves to, to allow that wisdom that we hear in those recordings to continue coming out. And... Uh, there's one other thing I wanted to say is that it's really important to me. I don't want to do any harm with anything I say tonight, so I know I said controversial things, and, but I, I don't mean that from today anyone needs to go away and feel shame and guilt and badness about how they've behaved in the past. I don't see any value in that. Don't lick your wounds in the space of other people's distress. There's no value in that. There's a choice every time we come into relationship with people of how we behave in the future, if from now on. And, and that's what reminded me of what you were saying, so thanks.
3: I think, um, I think as I heard you, your reflection, there was, there was a couple of things. I think I felt saddened a little bit that we hadn't really come that far and that we have wisdom that we've let go of. Um, and, but I also, I also know that there's good intentions there. And, um, and good intentions aren't enough, but they're a start. And, um, and I also think that, you know, from, from the, the conversations and the presentations tonight, there's a real curiosity about our distress. Like, how can we stop and pause and just be curious and really listen to, to that distress and really see value in it rather than trying to change it?
1: So have, have we overcomplicated this? Um, and when we talk about why are we not listening? Um, why are we not seeing? It, to me, listening to you all it seems about getting back to those basics and about that human connection. Um, and I know that, you know, the one intervention um, that often was universally missing as you're sitting in an inpatient unit um, was any person willing just to sit down um, and listen and just be...
2: Yeah, I, th- I think some of the settings are the problems. So I think... you, you I'll just grabbed it because I can, right? But just interrupt <laughs> me. I think that if we continue to see the mental health system looking like the mental health system looks, you go for appointments here or you ring that phone number, those are some of the problems as well. You know, so how do we, when we live down in Torquay, how do we deliver services on the beach, in the water? What, because what we'll quickly find is that those aren't relevant to doing things to people so I I remember working with a guy in Cornwall who he came to see me for therapy one Friday afternoon and then awkwardly we surfed together you know a mile down the road and I paddled out and there he was surfing and then as I paddled in he's there with no shirt on and then I'm getting undressed you know and it kind of really oh look we're quite similar really so how do you know so we delivered the psychotherapy in a room in two chairs in a doctor's surgery but I wonder whether it was more useful to hang out in the surf together. And I'm not suggesting all therapy and mental health interventions are in the surf. But I think, just thinking about what you're saying, how do we move away from even the rigid structures of where we meet and how we meet? That's always a question for me.
3: I think we've we've got a narrative that does a disservice to the community where we say that we can't and we, we're not capable of supporting each other I think there's there's so many messages that we have to call lifeline or that we have to reach out and I'm not saying that they're not valuable for some people, but as a community we can support each other and I think we used to I think there's um, a lot of messages around you know that we need to medicalise our experiences or we need to get medical support or we need professional we need expert support rather than just being able to, like you say Claire, get back down to basics and just hear each other, just meet each other just feel like we can you know, talk to somebody who is in distress on the street without having to, to walk on the other side of the road
4: yeah, I, I completely agree Helena, you know the uh, we've got a, a mentally health, mental health-aware community. We do not have a mentally, mental health-active community. It, you, you know, the trick is, if somebody's distressed, does somebody go and speak to them and, 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 and listen and, and sit with them and be with them? And the answer is no. They, they call the cops or they send them to ED, uh, neither of which is particularly helpful... Response And, you know, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a doctor, a, a, a medical model of this doesn't cut it. Because this is not a disease, this is human experience.
3: It is human experience, but I think we've got into this idea that we can divide people into those people who have a diagnosis of a mental illness and their responses are due to, you know, their disorder or their biology and we can put everyone else into another category and their, um, their responses are due to life events. And I think while we've still got that distinction between people, then we're going to keep responding the same way. And
4: that's something I'm having to unlearn at the moment, actually. That's, you know, like that's my life. Diagnosis, treatment It's what I do. And unashamedly, you know, I've tried to do it well. But actually, you know, I'm now increasingly you know, aware of the need to try and unlearn that paradigm. Uh, and find a new one. It helps that our diagnostic system now is broken because it's not useful for anybody anymore, I don't think. So it's it's a bit easier to walk away from it.
2: Yeah, and and so, like, hearing you as a psychiatrist, but as a human, right, saying that, how how are we continuing to do it then? And I don't need anyone to tell me the answer. (laughs) If it's broken, it doesn't work, and we're talking about it, and there's people watching, and there's people listening, why tomorrow... Why tomorrow will someone be diagnosed with schizophrenia? Why is there organisation celebrating Schizophrenia Awareness Week this week? What are we... What are we... What are we celebrating? What are we championing? I was diagnosed with schizophrenia by someone. What an absurd thing to do to me. 25 years later, it still has repercussions in my life. And so I agree with you. We can, <laughs> we can do it better and we can learn. But, but it, it's... Why aren't we going to stop doing it then today? Stop now. Done. Tomorrow, no-one, use diagnosis. We'll find the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For, all, for everyone, right? Oh yeah, but but <laughs> not but not just, not just for medical people. For the organisations whose funding is, you know, in this country, most of the funding is tied to the diagnostic labels through the ICD or the DSM. Let's wipe that out. You know, I'll tell you this because it's really important. <laughs> In South Australia, we still have the ICD-10 on our systems, and therefore, people can be still diagnosed with fetishistic transvi- transvestitism. That is an insult, yeah. right? How is that? How does that exist tomorrow mm-hmm. on a computer system? Because if it's on the system, someone will get it. Yeah. And then all our money's tied to all this, and oh, it just drives me mad. <laughs> Not... Psychotic, schizophrenic, man. <laughs> so so I'm, not, I'm not aiming that at you. I'm aiming that at, at all of us.
4: You know, What are we going to do tomorrow? But the answer to why do we keep doing it is because that's what we keep doing. We keep doing what we keep doing and, what, and know what we know. And so trying to unlearn that and, and develop a new paradigm and a, a new way of being with this stuff, it's actually really hard work. And there's a lot of vested interests right. uh, that will... Yeah won't find it particularly welcome. Yeah, and, and not just on my side of the fence, by the way.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, everyone's invested in it. But... So then how willing are we all to do harm every day? Yeah. That's the questions we need to ask. And I I think, how willing are we to do that? And it's it kind of depressing, but I think it can be emancipating as well.
3: <laughs> I, I think that... It's hard and there's not going to be an easy answer and I also want to acknowledge that For some people, diagnosis is meaningful for them and helpful and gives them a way of understanding their experience. But I think that we need to, to sit down and to hear each other and to hear each other differently. And also to talk about the... Have an open conversation and be willing to talk about the damage that the system has done. I think that's part of the conversation as well. Like, we need to hear the unheard and unresolved trauma that people are carrying around at the hands of the system and then be prepared to have a conversation differently.
2: But and how do we do that without shaming those that have contributed to that? Because that that doesn't help either. Because
3: we're all human.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're
3: all human and we're all trying... I think accepting that we don't know, which I think is something that you've said, and also, Mm. like, how can we make sense of this together? How can we even you change our approaches to these conversations? How can we sit down and be prepared to show up, to hear differently, to be, you know, tenacious and really sit down with each other and to have these conversations differently?
4: I, I do think one of the... Uh, ..one of the fundamental things is this structural discrimination around distress, mental wellness, mental ill health. Um, until we get a spend of the health dollar that is commensurate with the cost and the, and, and the prevalence of, uh, 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 of a need, then we're always going to be struggling because we're always going to have five segments of the orange, and, we're going to, and, and we need ten. And, and I absolutely think that you know that kind of structural stuff is a fundamental problem for us you know until we have uh, university courses that spend 20 percent of their time on site psy- on, uh, on on psychological issues on psychiatric issues rather than you know i, I think I had four weeks in my medical training mm. uh, it's possibly gone down to two in some places now that's that's structural uh, discrimination.
2: So, so I wonder what we can offer as alternatives, right? And one thing, I'm not, I don't think it's the answer, absolutely. But if we want to do a wave diagnosis, in a broad sense, we could look at implementing the power threat meaning framework, for example. Just as one example, it's not the answer to everything, but it's an example that that is lots two hundred pages of rather dull evidence, I would say, but tells us about this is how power is operating in someone's life. This is the threats that it causes. This is what someone makes of it, and this is their behavioural response, right? It includes people keeping their diagnosis, which I think is important if that's what someone wants to do. So I don't think we have to throw it all out, but we, we could all choose to adopt a and other model. Uh, in terms of the money, one of the things is what if we tomorrow stopped uh, prescribing more than the evidence-based doses of drugs? Now, I think the evidence base is loose at best if you audit how many people are on more drugs than even the the evidence, we could stop that and save money tomorrow. So I don't even know that it's new money. I think if we stop spending money on things that are indefensible, yeah, hurt people. The other thing I hear around Schizophrenia Awareness Week this week, I've been watching people talk about um, life expectancy reducing with schizophrenia and other chronic disorders. Schizophrenia doesn't reduce... The label of schizophrenia doesn't reduce life expectancy. Social inequalities, adversity, drugs, trauma, they reduce life expectancy in people's lives. So, so, and on that, I want to say, we talk about mental health, here's my thing, my head and my body, the rest of my body is attached. It's my health. And when we split it up, we begin to discriminate. And we say, these people's heads don't work, these people's bodies work, their bodies, we can cope with that, but we can't cope with their heads not working. So the language we use is, is problematic around this, I think, I think.
3: I think we need to get away from the idea of, um, that some people have inherent vulnerability and that they have inherent biological vi- vulnerability and really put lived experience at the centre. I think there's a lot of wisdom around what lived experience knowledge can change and I think until we don't really understand the power of lived experience to shape services and to shape systems and to shape change, and we don't see it at the centre driving that change, then I don't think we're going to have real change. And the the comment that Matt spoke about, about um, the, the offensive statement around um, people with borderline personality disorder, I think until we shift those ideas, and they're still there. So I think we need to have honest conversations about that and honest conversations around our fear of not um, really allowing lived experience to drive change so that we can allow that change to happen and really have that impetus of the power of lived experience and the knowledge that lived experience has to change the system.
1: Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Um, Look, we've only got a few more minutes. So, um, and there are so many more questions that we would love to ask, but we just go, what I would love, like to do is just for each of you, um, what, what would you like the audience to, to take away or what would be your message for um, people who are looking to enter the system in, as a mental health practitioner or professional, if you like? Um, yeah, just, just what, a, a takeaway message from each of you.
4: So um, uh, there's a, a, a lovely fiction book uh, uh, called uh, Mount Misery, written by an, a, an American author about his experience doing psychiatry training. Um, one of the, and at the at the back of it, he has a set of rules about psychiatry, and one of them is that psychiatrists specialise in their own defects. Uh, Another is that uh, uh, your colleagues will always hurt you more than anybody else. Uh, But the most important rule is that connection, not therapy, heals.
2: I'd like people to come into this field with the spirit, which I think most people do, which is to be beautiful and kind and to manage your own stories rather than try and manage other people's. That would be where I think we can, we can make change. And I want to say, and I hope it's OK to say is don't look around. There's a small child in the room tonight and my children today wanted me to mention their names, so Jemima and Delilah. <laughs> um, in, in the end, I want my children, if they're in Melbourne, to be heard by you. Hear my children. Hear them. Don't do things to them.
3: I'm going to um, go back to something you said Mad about our job isn't to change people. Our job is to be with them and to be curious and have a space of welcoming and openness to their experience. I'd also like people to, to take away that human... um this is a human experience and it deserves a human response. And any, any response that hasn't got compassion, that doesn't help people to explore their own meaning-making, their own subjective experience within the context of their lives is not the right one.
1: Um, I really want to thank you, the three of you, um, for dedicating your life's work. Um, You are all game changers um, and you have been changing lives um, in that. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much.
0: Been listening to brainwaves on 3cr and that was the final highlight from the 2023 woodcock lecture the panel discussion if you missed the other parts of the series uh, you can find more of our shows at the www.brainwaves.org.au or wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts if you found anything in today's shop setting please call 1300 111 500 and speak to someone at Wellways helpline and stay safe and don't forget to tune in next week on brainwaves